Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hi, listeners. I am here to invite you to be part of our summer episode, which is coming up soon. We're having Matt Vela on. He's the editor of FT Weekend magazine. And basically, he and I want to help you have the summer of your lives. So this is what we want. Send us one small thing that you like to do that makes your summer like 90% better. We've gotten a lot of really good ones. Um, Someone wrote in, quit your job, (laughs) which is tempting. But we were thinking more along the lines of buy the mangoes they sell on the street or be the last one on the beach. Anyway, we have a link in our show notes where you can easily record us a voice message and send it straight to us. Matt and I will play some of them on the show. Okay, on to the show. When the journalist Monica Mark arrived in South Africa in 2019, she started hearing about a problem that was plaguing her new neighborhood almost immediately. Everybody in South Africa is affected by copper theft. I moved here about four years ago and I joined my neighborhood WhatsApp group. <laughs> and, mm. and, and, you know, those groups, there's some people who are on all day and there's lots of chatter. But the one thing that came up consistently that everybody would kind of join in was complaining about when the power would go off, uh, either because of copper thieves or because mm. when the lights had gone off, they would kind of, under cover of darkness, go and seal more wiring or whatever it was. Electricity shortages are a problem in South Africa, but this went beyond the usual. Thieves were cutting electrical wiring, and it was causing the lights to go out. Specifically, they were cutting wire made out of copper, because recycled copper is in really high demand. Monica wanted to write about it. So she started asking everyone she knew if they could connect her to these copper gangs. I I started off um, on the WhatsApp group asking people and nobody had any idea where I could find someone like this, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But at the level of the guys who are doing the kind of um, the actual stealing of copper, you're going to have to go to certain neighborhoods, basically. Eventually, she decided that the best place to look was this specific part of Soweto. Soweto is a famous township in Johannesburg. And that's where Monica finally connected with a guy. She can't tell us his real name, but his nickname is 2-6, like the numbers. Even then, it kind of took a while. It didn't take Mm -hmm. a while to find someone because these guys are just ordinary South African citizens. They're there amongst everyone. And as I say in the story, they're kind of gangs loitering around. Yeah. But it took a while to find someone who was willing to talk. Um, and 2-6 was because of his, yeah, his personal circumstances. I think he'd made the decision that he was going to be honest and he was going to get his story off his chest. And he seemed almost, you know, he's dying. He doesn't have much time left. 2-6 brought Monica into the world of the Copper Gangs. She recently wrote an FT Weekend magazine cover story about him and about how and why people are stealing copper in South Africa. 
For Monica, 2-6 became a symbol of what happens when people in South Africa don't have the option of getting a job. That's a lot of people right now. And today, she's going to tell us about it. This is FT Weekend. I'm Lila Raptopoulos. Monica, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, thank you. Uh, so you recently wrote this incredible piece for the FT Weekend magazine. It's sort of hard to say what it's about. It's about a heist that went wrong. Um, but it also felt to me about copper thieves that are sort of struggling to survive. I'm wondering if you can set the scene for our listeners of what, in a few sentences, the story is about to you. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a story about one man in a township in Johannesburg um, and how his personal circumstances um, and poverty leads to addiction, which leads to a life of crime. Um, and then it, he becomes a copper thief and um, the story kind of charts why someone would choose to go into such a dangerous um, enterprise. But you can kind of draw a line from his personal choices all the way to global crime syndicates um, in places way beyond their township borders that yeah. he stays in, in Johannesburg. So um, the main person that you follow in the story is a man named Two Six. I'm curious if you can tell us about him, like how he got into copper theft and what his role was. So Two Six is, um, uh, he's in his 30s now. He has been smoking um, heroin, a local form of heroin, for uh, well over a decade now. He dropped out of school. He was a school dropout, um, high school dropout at the age of 15. And um, he started smoking this local heroin, which is black tar heroin cut with all sorts of um, kind of additives. And mm -hmm. uh, poison and Yeah, things, there's right? rat poison in there. There's a lot of ARVs and, and retroviral drugs because when South Africa had an AIDS epidemic, um, these drugs uh, really powerful and they get you very high and they started flooding the markets. Um, wow. Yeah, so they started mixing up all this stuff and, and there's um, weed in there as well. Uh, and South Africa has a, an epidemic of people using this drug and um, two six unfortunately got caught in that. And uh, he ended up sort of doing like petty crime Mm -hmm. But one day he tried to rob a supermarket because he was hungry and he was high and he ended up being sentenced to prison. Um, and in prison, he was mixing with people who were far more hardened criminals. And so that was kind of how he entered this world of copper theft. And yeah, and his story is just really sad. And it's kind of tells a wider story of so many of the problems that South Africa has right now. Two six or or men like him, like... If he doesn't get into copper robberies or things like that, what are his options, like, for making a living? What, what is his life? So the options are very few, is the truth. Um, unemployment is uh, it's massive. The official unemployment rate is something like one in three South Africans of working age out work. Black men in particular, which mm -hmm. two six is, obviously, um, it's about 50%. You know, so to answer the question, what else his options are, there, there was always people who would say, well, you didn't have to turn to a life of crime. Mm -hmm. But I would say that I just feel very fortunate I've never found myself in that position, um, having to yeah. decide 
what am I going to do to get my next meal? Yeah. So Tusix is someone who can't see a future. He's tried over and over to get a job. He's addicted to drugs. He's been to prison. But once he's on the outside, he links up with a guy named Sausages, who he met in prison. And Sausages gives him a job. Not an official job. A job stealing copper. The first time, they steal some wire from a train station warehouse. Tusix gets paid really well, the equivalent of 2700 U.S. dollars. Then another job follows, and another, and the next thing he knows, Tusix is part of a gang of copper thieves. He's part of Sausage's crew. Monica, can you tell me what it means to kind of commit copper theft? Um, can you give me maybe some examples of the sorts of heists that Tusix and his kind of colleagues were doing and pulling off? Yeah, I, I did ask him that question once. Um, I said, can you give me a list? of the places that you've been to to carry out these kind of crimes, um, you know, these heights. Yeah. And he just sort of looked at me and was like, basically sort of was like, it would be shorter if I told you the places we haven't gone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because so anywhere that copper is used and copper is in, it's in everything to do with construction, mm -hmm. anything to do with electronics. So you've got copper wiring and they went pretty much everywhere that they could find copper. So typically train stations were a favorite for them just because it's just low-hanging fruit, basically. I mean, it's actually mm -hmm. the copper wires are overhead and, and they're on the ground next to the train tracks. Which meant the train systems were always stopping. I think the last figures that I could find for Transnet, which is the national freight company, they were cancelling, and I think this was about a year ago, 21 trains a day. Wow. So other than trains, they were also, I mean, it sounds like they were taking copper from like electrical stations that would kind of cut the power in areas and things like that. Is that right? So substations, um, they were doing sort of municipal works, sewage stations, uh, water works. <laughs> so 26 kind of described it as like, however low we went, we never went so far as um, schools because there are gangs mm. that do target schools, um, again, for their kind of the plumbing and the construction. Um, they didn't yeah. do that because they were basically going for, usually for bigger targets. Um, right. And these were inside jobs. So they had people kind of load this truck and then you have to drive to a warehouse or to sell it immediately. You don't want to be sitting around with like, you know, hundreds of kilograms of copper. Right. Um, yeah, they were pretty big jobs. Right. Here's the thing about copper. We need it for just about everything electronics, construction. We actually need more of it as we transition to renewable energy because that takes a lot of wiring. And because copper is so valuable, an entire underground industry has sprung up around it. There are people like Tusix who steal it. There are shops that melt the stolen copper, copper middlemen that sell scraps. And then there are big international gangs that handle the global sales. Monica decided not to get too deep into investigating these gangs, mostly for her own safety. But she's sure that they're not risking their lives quite like Tusix. Monica, I just, I'd love to go back to the story. Um, Tusix is working in his gang are uh, two guys with um, also incredible nicknames, uh, <laughs> Mafia and Sausages. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the three of them are pulling off these heists. And then one day, um, something terrible happens. 
And I'm wondering if you can tell us that story. Yeah. Um, so Tusek didn't tell me about this. It took a while before he sort of trusted me enough to talk about this. And also when he told me what happened, even though it was uh, maybe a couple of years ago, he was still visibly like shaking and, and traumatized mm. by it. But essentially, if you decide to go into the business of steel and copper, you are risking your life um, very regularly because you're not a trained electrician and you don't know how these things work. Right. And you're cutting wires. <laughs> cut, exactly. And, and that particular heist, they were all very high. And um, it was raining is the other thing. <laughs> and I actually called around and asked um, engineers, do you go and fix, you know, substations when it's raining. And what I was told was, yes, you do, because you have to, but it requires a bit more skill and you would sort of send out your best engineers and you have to really know what you're doing. Um, anyway, so they went out and uh, it was all a little bit, it's a bit blurred into Six's mind what exactly what happened. And I think that's partly because he was high, but also partly just it was such a traumatic thing. But essentially he described it as he looked up and Mafia was standing over a wire. They hadn't agreed he was to cut that wire, but he mm -hmm. held the wire, cutters, and then he pressed it together and it just went boom. And like mm -hmm. all the lights went out and two six like fell to the, he was thrown to the ground. Um, and then when he looked up with his head torch, it was, dawn was kind of just breaking, so it was still dark. And he looked up with his head torch and he, I don't want to be too graphic, but he described what, if you can imagine someone looks like when they have literally been fried to death with a, a massive mm -hmm. jolt of electricity. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, but that was a risk that they did take every time they, they were out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It sounds like that experience kind of changed Two Six's life, like the course of it. It did. Tell me about it. Yeah. I think he sort of realized like, this is where I either become the kind of person who is willing to accept these risks. Um, he's, he'd been lucky for years. He'd got away with it, basically. But at that point, he had to decide, am I going to keep risking my life? Is this, is this really what I want to be doing with my life? Um, mm -hmm. But the, the sad thing is that when he did make that decision, I think he would say it wasn't the sad thing. But when he finally decided, I have to quit this and I have to sort of start a new chapter of my life, he found out that... Um, he actually has stomach cancer mm -hmm. and there's not much he can do about it. He, it, you know, he's, it's just really sad. He wanted to start fresh and then he found out he didn't have much time left. Two six having cancer has nothing to do with copper theft. But to Monica, it's kind of a symbol of the pain he's lived with all his life. He just can't catch a break. Even before she found out he was sick, she noticed him holding his left side in pain. It was like he was holding his heart. By the time that Monica met 2-6, he had moved out of Soweto. He'd also gotten off drugs. He was clean. What was it like to be with 2-6? You know, what was it like spending time with him? He looked unwell. You know, the first time I met him with the uh, person who introduced us, and I didn't even realize 2-6 was the person. He was, he's very, he doesn't take up much space. Um, but I think he's just kind of life has led him to believe that his life has no worth. He doesn't have worth as a person. And he's really mm -hmm. trying to turn that around. You could see that in his mind when he talked about these things, 
he was really trying to analyze who he was and how he got there. But generally, we kind of spent a lot of time in KFCs um, <laughs> and car parks and um, just random street corners. He was really nervous about being caught, talking to an outsider as well about, you know, gang life. Mm-hmm. He seemed like a really kind person. Of course, I, it's easy for me to say that, and I don't know what people directly impacted by his crimes would say. Monica says that there really aren't a lot of solutions to 2-6's predicament, at least not until South Africa figures out how to turn things around. The country has had a lot of struggles since apartheid ended. And these days, there's high unemployment and growing corruption, and people are frustrated. Things have also gotten worse since the pandemic. A lot of money that was earmarked for fighting COVID just disappeared. The last reason that this is a hard problem to solve is that help isn't going to come from other countries where this secondhand copper is actually sold. Monica, I'm going to ask you um, one more question about copper. Everything that we've been talking about is happening to feed this international demand for copper. And you said in your piece that some countries now restrict importing recycled copper because so much of the source of it is like questionable or comes from like illegal methods. I'm curious if that's having any effect. So that's all a very theoretical way to stop um, copper exports. In practice, there's a very strong argument to be made that it doesn't work because it's not just as simple as you kind of, you close your borders and um, copper stays in the country without going into too much detail. There's sort of tariffs um, that you charge and those can have an impact on whether it's more attractive still. Also, the, the thing about uh, those kind of trade embargoes is, well, one, is that they actually don't work, or in South Africa, they're not working. And two, is that, again, because of how widely copper is used, so much of the copper supply stream in the globe is recycled copper, and you do need to keep it moving, you know? So it kind of doesn't make sense in a globalized world to be like, oh, we're going to just keep all our copper. And it would make much more sense to actually control properly what is coming in and out of the country. Yeah, interesting. Monica, thank you so much for your time. I, You know, you have been reporting in South Africa and even across West Africa for a long time. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your career and also just like your thoughts at the end of reporting out this incredible story like yeah how do you feel about South Africa so South Africa was super interesting for me to arrive here in 2019 I arrived here with BuzzFeed News who I had been in West Africa with prior to that and uh, then I joined the New York Times I was bureau chief and so South Africa was kind of a shock to me partly just because it is far more advanced than anywhere in West Africa. It's, it is the most developed sub-Saharan African country. But yeah. it was also a shock because it's like taking like, I don't know, like New Zealand, a really advanced economy, and then somewhere that's not very developed. And if you were to mash those two countries together, you, you would end up with something like South right. Africa. It has the biggest inequality gap in the world. Yeah. And it's really jarring to see it the way you see it here. And it's strange just to be here at this time as well, because obviously 
It's been uh, 1940, so it's been almost 30 years since apartheid ended. And a lot of the problems, especially the structure, the way the country was structured to just benefit one massive group at the top, um, you can you, you see the effects of that daily. But you have had uh, a liberation or former liberation party in power for almost 30 years now, and things are in a really dire state economically, socially. Yeah. So it's feels like it's on the brink of something, not necessarily something great. And kind of how it, this chapter plays out, it's really interesting as a journalist to be, to be here. Yeah. I guess my last question is like, what did you leave this reporting feeling? It's not that hard to just sit and listen to people. Um, and that's what I kind of do as my job. And I'm really lucky. And I'm really lucky that at the end of the day, I also get to go home. And um, because I try and put myself in their shoes, you know, so I can write about what they're really feeling but it's difficult to be in that headspace and they're in it they, they haven't got any other life to go to um mm. so i just feel very privileged i think um and i really try and respect that and respect that they've trusted me enough to tell their story yeah well it was a very moving story monica and uh we're grateful to have you here so thank you so much for for telling it thank you on the show thank you That's the show this week. Thank you for listening to FT Weekend, the life and arts podcast of the Financial Times. We're excited to have as many of you as we can in an upcoming episode. So remember to send in that one thing that you like to do during the summer that makes your summer incredible. The link for how to contact us is in the show notes. Also in the show notes is a link to an excellent discount on an FT subscription that is also at ft.com slash weekend podcast. Make sure to use that link. As you know, it's great to hear from you in all capacities. You can email us at ftweekendpodcast at ft.com. The show is on Twitter at ftweekendpod. And I am on Instagram and Twitter at Lila Rapp. I'm Lila Raptopoulos, and here's my incredible team. Katya Kamkova is our senior producer. Lulu Smith is our producer. Molly Nugent is our contributing producer. Our sound engineers are Breen Turner and Sam Javinko, with original music by Metaphor Music. Topher Forges is our executive producer, and our global head of audio is Cheryl Brumley. Have a beautiful weekend, and we'll find each other again next week.